Right, so we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. We've only really got a, a small passage this morning, but I'm going to draw in other passages as well. So we'll be leaping around a little bit, uh, but I'll read these um, out to you. We're going to be in Matthew 5, uh, verses 31 to 32. It's on page 969 if you're using the Church Bible. And uh, the, the sermon title really is, is, it doesn't sound that, it sort of sounds positive, but it's, um, it's, uh, it could be taken either way. Marriage and divorce, a godly perspective. Marriage and divorce, a godly perspective. I kind of afterwards uh, wrote on my notes here, I wish I'd, it was already in the sermon uh, uh, preaching plan, but I, I wish I'd uh, tied to it, how to have a healthy marriage and then avoid uh, divorce, because divorce is something that we want to avoid, although we know sometimes it's unavoidable. Um, so Jesus is teaching about this, and he's teaching in response to uh, the Pharisees' question. Uh, so I'm going to read that part of the passage first, and then we're going to uh, jump over to Matthew 19, verses 3 to 12, where, again, it comes up. And the Pharisees have got this kind of, uh, which you'll understand when I read you the passage from Deuteronomy um, 24, this kind of flippant view of marriage, which, which many people in society have today. It's kind of a, well, I'll just leave it, you know, without any... Some will battle and try and fight and fight and fight, and it can't be saved, and, and, and that's where grace and healing need to happen. But others are kind of worse, okay, and just carry on and on and on. Um, so that's what we want to get away from. So marriage and divorce are godly perspectives. So first of all, Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Then I'll read Matthew 19, 3 to 12. And then I'm going to read uh, the first uh, part of Deuteronomy 24. And you can see then the question the Pharisees are asking Jesus at this time and his reaction to them while it's quite uh, severe because they were being very flippant. So Matthew 5, 31 to 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's quite a short passage. Uh, Matthew 19, 3 to 12 um, expands on it. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Can you imagine that? If, I, if we had any reason, you know, you'd just be quite flippant about it. And he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. It goes right back to the beginning, this creation ordinance, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. They are joined. They become one. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The intention, obviously, that Jesus is saying then is it should be for life. That's what we should aim towards. And they carry on, though. They're a little bit disappointed with that answer. Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation, I mean, they've kind of had it easy a bit, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. This is too hard. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it, and he's alluding to singleness. So, we had a person we knew, uh, Andrew and I, uh, quite a number of years ago now, and uh, I don't know if you remember, it's, I think it's closed now, down now, but the website Friends Reunited. Does anyone remember that? 
I mean, it was like a divorce advertisement. It was unbelievable. People would go back to their childhood sweethearts. Oh, you know, and remember the good old days before life got maybe a bit drudgery and everything else. And there was loads of affairs and stuff like that that went on. And this friend of ours did. She upped and left, left her kids. And we couldn't really understand it and went off to be with this other man because, you know, it was all like when I was 16. Well, it's not. You know, the grass isn't always green on the other side and there were problems. But the damage had been done. But there was a sense of flippancy, which you could argue is in society at the moment, about marriage. And there certainly was with the Pharisees when they're asking Jesus this question. But Jesus here says we're to take it seriously. And he attacks the literalism and he shocks the Pharisees. Now, the context they were coming from, Deuteronomy 24, you can understand why they're trying to pull Jesus in and say, almost it feels like, you know, we're okay like this, can we carry on? Are you not one of us? But Deuteronomy 24, which is what they were alluding to, says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, and you've only got to displease them, because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and the second husband dislikes her, now it's just dislike. And writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again, maybe he's changed his mind, after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. There was lots of marrying and remarrying around at that time, because it was held reasonably flippantly, because it was, well, you know, if, it's a, if she's displeasing, you know, there's too much salt in the soup, write her a certificate and send her on her way. And you can see how Jesus' words are coming right back at them, so we're not to treat it like that. We're to treat marriage seriously. And why, so why is marriage increasingly under attack? A lot of people focus on their rights rather than their duty as a husband or a wife. Contrary to what the Bible talks about, it could be an unrealistic expectation of easy and sustained happiness. Uh, normally babies take care of that. I remember Andrew and I, we'd hardly had a row, did we? I think, we'll probably argue about this now, before we had children. You know, and then we had children, I thought, what's happened? You know, <laughs> and you have to have a strong marriage. Why anyone would say we can have kids to strengthen our marriage, I don't know. It might be us, and maybe we had difficult children, I'm not sure. One of them sitting there... <laughs> Ask Kaylee, she's sitting there. I think she <laughs> embarrassed the family. But no, it is difficult. It is difficult. You know, and God wants us to have strong relationships. But when you go uh, and listen or look at the TV and the films and the happy ever afters, you know, it's all rosy and everything's really good most of the time. But we all know that there are niggles sometimes and that you do work through. Marriages do take a bit of work sometimes. So maybe we've got unrealistic expectations. It's all going to be great. Um, And it is, mostly, but uh, there are times when maybe it's not. The removal of parental support um, is a kind of a tendency, particularly areas like we live in now. It's very difficult, if you're going to leave the family home and get married, to be able to afford maybe where your parents uh, live. So you go somewhere else, and, and really that's the time. The Bible's great about families helping one another, um, the older generation's teaching the younger, and the younger generation uh, respecting everything. But often we move away. And then that support network goes. We need that support, and we can support each other in church as well. There's a general, uh, much more acceptance of divorce and remarriage, uh, which can become the norm rather than the exception. We accept that things are not perfect, and sometimes it happens, and we're going to look at that uh, later on. But it shouldn't be the norm. It shouldn't be the norm. A decline of religion or faith, especially in the Christian faith and view. Um, you know, more liberalism in the church, mixed messages from the church. 
And then finally, a spiritual battle. The, the enemy loves a divorce and all that goes with it. And he'll go after a Christian marriage uh, with all sorts of uh, ploys. Broken promises, broken lives, broken homes, broken children, broken hearts. It's difficult. You can see why God ideally would not have a divorce. And the issue of divorce and remarriage is complex. It's sensitive. I'm aware of that. Controversial, painful, and stressful. The people that I've spoken about, uh, spoken to, sorry, I don't go around speaking about people. <laughs> uh, the people I've spoken to uh, who have gone through divorce are hurting people, and they deserve our love, our mercy, and our grace, and not our judgment. Uh, most of them use words such as excruciating pain, grief, despair, hurt, anger, sadness, rejection, guilt, anguish, shock, betrayal, anxiety, fear, isolation, loneliness, depression, broken-hearted. Just note, not one of those words is a positive one. It's very, very difficult to go through a divorce. And a divorce has a painful experience that someone may have to go through. The church should be a place that brings hope to those who have experienced that pain. If they're hurt, the church needs to be a hospital. If they're responsible and they recognise it, then we need to tell them we're just a community of forgiven sinners. If they're in despair, then we're a community of hope. God is a God of restoration and healing. It's probably in this room, not that we're going to do a straw poll, an issue for all of us. All of us will know somebody that's gone through that pain or somebody who's been affected uh, by it and they're struggling with the issue. Well, it was an issue at the time of Jesus as well and he speaks directly into it. Family life at the time was in grave danger of destruction when Christianity first came into the world where relationships outside marriage were considered normal and natural although not in, in Judaism, but the culture they were in, it was. Written or an oral notice in the presence of two witnesses was sufficient for a divorce. I mean, can you imagine if that was really the case, if Jesus didn't fight back about that? You could go to any pub in Billericay, and after about 10 o'clock, most men are having a bit of a whinge, and they've all divorced their wives, because, you know, I've got a couple of grievances, it's been a bit displeasing to me, and uh, there's two of you here, and that's it, we're done. I mean, that's, it's flippant. And we shouldn't be thinking like that. It's, and I'm, I was a bit worried, actually. Um, I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, also, I'll put here, almost as straightforward. Uh, I don't know if you know this. I picked this up on the website, and I haven't checked its uh, authenticity, which they tell us to do. But the, I don't even know how to pronounce this. But the Pueblo Indians today, where a woman can divorce her husband by leaving his moccasins on the doorstep. Did you know that? It was my birthday last week. I thought, I wonder if Andrew's going to get me any moccasins. Um, but... Um, <laughs> She didn't. It was all right. I've got a onesie. I'm not sure what that means. Um, anyway, I haven't seen her since. In rabbinic law, uh, a man had the right to divorce his wife. She had no such rights. So Jesus, once again, sticking up for the, the time, was the weaker uh, sex. He was uh, sticking up for them. All the man had to do was give the woman the document in the presence of the two witnesses and she was divorced. She couldn't do the same uh, to him. As for the grounds for the divorce, there were two schools of thought. One was literal. One was... Uh, quite liberal, uh, it's all centred around that passage that I read to you in Deuteronomy 24, which seems to allow divorce when the husband finds something indecent, uh, verse 1, about his wife. Well, the strict school under uh, one rabbi was this must mean serious, serious sexual offence when, when there's just no coming back from it. And the liberal school, which was around at the time, was pretty much any reason, which was the Pharisees were hoping for. Hence the question by them in Matthew 19, verse 3. So it could include gossiping or losing her looks. I've already said too much salt in the soup. I've got it there again. I must have thought that in a week. 
um, it seemed to be the one that was more popular to the Pharisees, and you can see because they were men why that might be. But in this Sermon on the Mount that we've read uh, today, this passage, these verses, Matthew 5, 31 to 32, and then later, latterly Matthew 19, 3 to 12, we can see he answers them quite strictly, and they're not too happy with the answer. Basically, the Pharisees were asking Jesus whether he agreed with the liberal view by a man called Hillel, or, which is kind of a free-for-all. It's like, come on, you know, we, this is good for us men. Uh, we can just kind of, in, t- in front of two witnesses, give a note, and we're done, we move on. In fact, we can even remarry her, but, you know, that's what Deuteronomy, that's why Moses made the law, because that was going on. He's saying, we can't keep doing that. And he says, answers them, doesn't he, implies, no, he does not believe in that. He does not believe in that flippancy and that liberalism. And he's effectively saying, right when he goes right back to creation, you're to take this seriously. The two have become one. And when you rip something apart that's been glued together, bits fall off and it's messy. So firstly, I just want to talk about the seriousness of marriage um, and, and also to put some pointers in uh, towards the end about protecting our marriages and protecting our relationships, honouring one another within a relationship. The secular world, press and TV and magazines and self-help, is all about self. When you speak to someone with wisdom, they'll tell you it's all about love or thinking of others. You get so much more when you give out. So it talks about self, so that means if it's about self, when I'm a bit unhappy, I'll just get rid of it. I don't have to do it anymore. This is a voluntary partnership, and I'm no longer a volunteer. I want to walk away. Things have got a bit rocky, and I just want to walk away from it. It's a civil contract, and it can be terminated. It doesn't matter. It's not working out. I think I'll just go and get a divorce. Very flippantly. It's increasingly reductionist. It's a very low view of marriage. Well, the opposite end of that, where Jesus is coming from, is it should be seen, and we know it isn't always, but it should be seen as unbreakable. This is a commitment with the intention of going in for life. The literal interpretation of when Jesus said, they are no longer two, but one. You know, it almost must feel like I'm chopping my arm off if I want to leave my wife. It's what theologians would call an ontological union that it, it shouldn't only not be broken, but it can't be broken, because it's been joined together under God. And this view still was held by Augustine in the early church. It's still held by the Catholic Church, which doesn't see divorce by itself as bringing an ending uh, to a marriage. Jesus has the highest view of marriage. Matthew 19, 4-6, he's asked about divorce. He speaks first about marriage. He doesn't go with the negative. He says, well, hold on, let's talk about marriage. He points to the creation ordinance. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to one, uh, sorry, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no, let no one separate. So clearly from here, whatever society wants to tell us, marriage involves one man and one woman. It includes leaving parents. It, it means there's a new unit being forced together that demands primary responsibility. Let me say you forget the parents. I mean, I'm a parent. I don't want to be forgotten um, when I'm older, um, but, or now, for that matter. Um, but it does mean we say, well, actually, that, I'm leaving that family unit. Although I'm still kind of part of it. This is now a new life. And certainly in our own marriage, we took time to really, uh, or it took time, uh, we didn't deliberately do it, it took time to reevaluate that. Um, that, you know, you've left the parents and you've got to get on with the, with the wife, uh, which was great, by the way. Um, but, but, 
you know, there is that kind of, this is now a new family unit, and my primary commitment after God now has to be my wife. And of course I love mum and dad and everyone else, and it's brilliant, but this is of vital importance. This is now a new family unit and a context to bring our children up in. And it demands primary responsibility. It's a uniting and personal commitment to one another. When we get married, we say these vows before God, don't we? And the Bible's clear that the two will become one flesh. It's that leaving and and uniting are active ideas. Becoming one flesh is something that happens to the couple. They're joined together by God. So let no one separate. And Jesus summarises by teaching that in marriage, husband and wife are no longer two but one. It shouldn't be able to be separated. Yet we know we're in a fallen world. So from a Christian perspective, the fundamental rule is that marriage, the intention of marriage, is a lifelong commitment and divorce should be ruled out. Not because marriage cannot be broken, because we know it can, but it ought not to be. In 1991, the Law Society calls for legislation that would allow couples to draw up legally binding marriage contracts showing who gets what if there's a divorce. This is contrary to the Christian idea that we're going into a marriage and with an assumption that, well, if it does end, this is who gets what. Uh, I don't know if you're a Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. Anyone like the Beatles? I like the Beatles. I wish they wrote hymns. Um, but anyway, Paul McCartney's still living and he's, uh, he's been through a few relationships and he's, sadly, his first wife died of cancer. And then he met, didn't he, after a while, his second wife, Heather Mills. It didn't work out. It wasn't a great experience for him. But um, all of his children didn't like Heather Mills. They made that quite uh, obvious. You could read about it in the Daily Mail, so I know it's true. (laughs) And they advised him, they advised him to do a prenuptial. You see, make sure she can't get hold of anything before you get married. And he refused. He said, I'm not going into the marriage expecting us to get divorced. Now, of course, we know after about two years, it all went wrong. And she actually took millions, millions. But he refused to go into it, and I had some sympathy with him. He refused to go in with the idea that the marriage could be broken up. But it did. It did. The possibility of divorce, he wanted to rule out from the start, notwithstanding that it might happen. So the first point is it's really serious. You know, if you're thinking about getting married or you are married, uh, it's your primary commitment under God uh, before anyone else. So what breaks a marriage? Well, Pharisees had in mind that passage from Deuteronomy that I read to you uh, when challenging Jesus' view on marriage. You know, anything, if the wife displeases you, I mean, how offensive is that to you ladies sitting here? You know, the husband's there, you've displeased me today. I wanted to watch songs of praise and you didn't. So off you go. I mean, it was a flippancy. How dishonouring is it? But the original context, which they didn't grasp, was designed to protect the wife and restrict remarriage by forbidding the husband to divorce and remarry the same person if the next marriage failed. So basically, Jesus, the, the, sorry, the law of Deuteronomy was, don't treat it lightly. You can't just keep marrying, divorce, marry, divorce, marry, divorce, just as if it was a normal relationship that's over. The two had become one. Jesus points out that the Israelites were never commanded to divorce their wives, even in extreme circumstances. Divorce was only allowed rarely. It was a concession. Because Jesus said, because your hearts were hard. Matthew 19, verse 8. God didn't originally intend this coming together of a woman and a man to end in divorce. We know he doesn't like divorce. Hates it. Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce. Because he knows the damage it does. 
And with that foundation, Jesus then says that divorce is equivalent to adultery. Matthew 19, verse 9, Matthew 5, verse 32, with one exception, marital unfaithfulness, Matthew 9, verse 9. Now, the Greek word used there is pornia. Now, you're not going to need me to explain uh, the, the illusion, then, of, um, of what he means by marital unfaithfulness. It's a sexual immorality, where we get the word pornography from. Divorce was a recognition that a new union had been formed elsewhere, therefore the marriage had effectively been terminated. It ratifies the rupture, so to speak. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, while affirming the permanence of marriage, he mentions another reason. Unbelieving spouse leaves and will not be reconciled. They just refuse to come back. You're doing everything you can. And he says the believer may let them go with a clear conscience. It doesn't mean we need to be legalistic about it. You know, one act of adultery, that's it. It's permanent. There's no conversation. It might be. But everything should be done to restore the marriage. And I've seen marriages healed from far worse, where people actually come together in repentance and talk and receive counselling and work out what's going on. It can be rescued. So we don't want to be legalistic. So well, the Bible says one act of that, and that's it. I've, I've, got, I've got a remit to go off and do whatever I want. What Jesus and the rest of the New Testament confirms is that marriage should be permanent, and divorce allowed only in extreme cases, a gross misconduct that undermines the whole marriage relationship. Partner leaves, maybe sets up home with another person, they've, they've affected less than marriage, has children, with them no intention of ever returning, or unbelieving partner leaves and will not be reconciled, which I mentioned. There are grey areas where actually there's no right answer, and I'm, I thank God for the uh, lecturer at Spurgeon who once said to me, Daniel, there's going to be advice you give where there's no right answer, there's just less of a wrong one and you've got to go with it and trust God. It could be that someone's on the receiving end of a protracted physical or mental abuse, and there's no other option. You know, what do I say? Stay in that marriage? Get beaten up? Maybe killed? There's no right answer. It's just less of a wrong one. And as a minister, I have told people in the past, only once or twice, to leave a marriage, because it was dangerous for them and their child. But it's tough, because I have to reconcile that with the word of God. The tough teaching is more aligned with the rabbi called Shammai, and it caused strong arguments and debates. The Pharisee said, this is hard to live up to. Well, it is, and that's why marriages take effort and commitment. The disciples, in fact, said, because they had a bit of an easy ride of it, well, if this is, this is how serious you want to take it, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. They came up with that. And it's worth noting, they're surprised at his strictness, as opposed to the the prevailing society's flippancy. He knows the damage divorce causes. God knows what he's doing. So it gets on to the point, can divorced Christians remarry? Some would say that Jesus allowed divorce in some cases, we mentioned adultery, but that he didn't allow remarriage. This is taking the view that the first marriage is binding until death, which some traditions hold on to. Well, things to think about, though Deuteronomy uh, 24, the first four verses that we read, doesn't encourage divorce and remarriage, it does contemplate the possibility. There is room. In Jesus' day, it was generally assumed that divorced people would remarry. Jesus said that he who divorces his wife causes to become an adulteress, Matthew 5.32. That wouldn't be the case if she didn't remarry. But in that culture, women had no paid jobs or security, so they would have sought to be remarried. Theologians are divided, but it seems to me that what Jesus is saying, that that first marriage was joined together by God and, and it's been broken. 
we can never go back to that ideal because the ideal was broken, but there is room for remarriage. But that doesn't say remarriage should be taken for granted. Maybe it's not right for everybody, even if they're free to do so. The question has to be asked of the church, as it's a prophetic witness to the high calling of marriage and a pastoral role offering forgiveness and a new start. We have to look at each case on merit. Sometimes there are very valid reasons why a marriage has failed. And people need our sympathy and our love and our forgiveness and God's restoration. And something good can come out of that. So how do we respond? Well, I guess, uh, as Jesus did, instead of that kind of Pharisaic liberalism, you know, what can I get away with in this? What can I, you know, how do I get out of this? You know, things are going a bit rocky, so I think I'll just go, which is a negative commentation. Jesus turned it back and said, let's be positive about marriage. Let's, let's assume it's binding. And I think as Christians, we can be positive about the institution of marriage as we come before God and make promises. If you're already divorced, life has moved on. No church is going to say, well, go back, um, especially if you're remarried. That would cause all sorts of problems. But it is important that giving and receiving the forgiveness goes on, forgiving the past. And maybe you've been hurt, or maybe you were the one who hurt people. There needs to be, uh, that needs to come before God. Normally, my, in my experience, there's always two sides to every story. But we need to deal with forgiveness and bitterness. Jesus came to set us free from guilt. And for those of us that are married now, it's essential, isn't it, to do everything in our power to avoid divorce. And that means investing in our marriages. It's never, ever too late. I've seen people at the brink, and God's, as they've brought their marriages before God, and I've worked with them, it's come back, and it's been amazing. We need to explore every avenue of reconciliation, even if we think there's no hope. So often, talking to someone at the moment, do I say, you know, it's over? Have you gone for counselling? Have you seen them? No, I don't need to. I believe this is the right thing to do. And just refusing any help. So we need to explore every avenue of reconciliation, whether that's counselling or a marriage course or seeing the minister, whatever it is. Get help in the early stages. Don't wait until things are at breaking point. We know life's stressful and we need each other. Take advantage of courses. I know they've been run here before, and I want to point to two books I've got there, and hopefully we'll run a course. But at strengthening marriages, it, it takes intentionality, making a decision to build strong marriages. It takes investment. It takes time. It takes romance. You know, we can lose that, especially when the kids come along. You know, you can't get out, can you? It's like a military operation. And just when you're going out, you've sorted the babysitter, and you've worked out it's five pounds an hour, things have gone up since you were younger, and everything else, and, you know... It's always little Johnny in it. Forgive me if anyone's got a kid named Johnny. But little Johnny, just as you're going out the door, he's just, you know, sick all over the place. And that's the end of that, isn't it? You're back in. You think, oh, we tried. We did what Ian said. Can't get out. But you need those date nights. You need those times together. Without you, the kids wouldn't exist. Um, And if your relationship goes bad, they're going to suffer. So we need to take that investment and time and the romance to each other. Mutually encourage one thing is the most unattractive thing I hear is when partner puts, one partner puts another one down in front of other people. And I, I, I you know, I, it's, I mean, I, you know, I've got to be careful now. <laughs> Andrew does it all the time. Um, no, um, I'm sure I do it. And, and you don't, it's not intentional. So I'm saying, oh, don't be so stupid. You know, and you, oh, why would I say that? Um, you don't really mean it, but it can do damage. So look to build up, especially in public. Be better at pointing out the positive side of a character instead of the negative. The negative is very unattractive. 
And don't be tempted to put work and children. You know, this is controversial. Children who eventually leave. You know, they're going to leave. And then if your marriage is not showing, you know, what's left? I've got nothing to talk about. Um, don't put other pressures before the marriage. It's your highest priority after God. If you've got a healthy marriage, it's going to be a great witness to your children. Communicate. I would say half my problems are when I don't communicate. I think I've told someone. I know I know it, so everybody else should. And it doesn't work like that. Uh, the early stages, living together. You know, who squeezes the toothpaste and who doesn't? Or who leaves the top off? I mean, the minor things, but when we had no sleep, it enough really annoy you, you know. <laughs> Get two tubes of toothpaste, it's a lot easier. <laughs> it said if the grass looks green you're on the other side, start watering your own, because eventually you'll get to the other side, you'll make a choice, and you've left the one that you really love, and actually you'll find that after a few months all the same problems happen in the other relationship. It always looks more attractive, it's a great lie. It means the choice of a spouse is vital. You know, if you're thinking about getting married, you know, really talk it through with each other. I mean, the amount of times we've done marriage preparation, I'll say something simple like, so you're having a joint bank account and then look at the row that happens in front of me because they've never discussed it. I mean, I've had couples in front of me who've never discussed whether they're having children or not. You can imagine three years down the road, I think it's time to try for a baby. Yeah, I didn't tell you, I never, I never wanted one. It's going to be an issue. So there's all these sorts of things. You have to choose your partner wisely. But once you've chosen them, then you've got to believe it's under God and the two become one flesh. Lifelong commitment. It needs both partners loving and cherishing the other. And in a world that treats marriage with increasing flippancy and disregard, we have the opportunity as Christians to walk a different path. In a world that says it's easy and okay to walk away if it's right for you, we need to hear Paul's words when he says, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. In a world that says Christian thinking on marriage is traditional, antiquated, boring, old-fashioned and out of touch, we want to say, well, we think you're wrong. It's not, and it can work, and it can be something beautiful. And Christians need to model strong marriages to the world. Many people don't even know what a good marriage is. And as Christians, we want to draw alongside people that are facing marriage problems, absolutely exuding compassion, and understanding without being judgmental. Nicky Gumbel said that the heart of the gospel is reconciliation. God in Christ reconciled the world to himself and our task is to proclaim this message to the world. And we do it by our lives, our example in our relationships and by our lips, proclaiming Jesus' teaching to the world, seeking to reconcile people to God and each other. And when the church truly starts living out the teaching of Jesus, then the world will take notice and will have a chance to respond. God knows what he's doing. And he puts these things in his word for us to follow them. And we're the church, which is the people of God, the ambassadors of Christ, living witnesses, having the opportunity to bear witness to the high calling of marriage between a man and a woman with the attention, intention that is for life. So as we husbands... Uh, love our wives as Christ loves the church and, and the wives uh, in a natural submission to that. Why wouldn't they if we're treating them correctly? Then we can model ideals in marriage. So commit to our marriages afresh uh, this morning. If you're thinking about getting married, then make sure you choose the right person and assume it's for life. I've got two things I wanted to recommend. Uh, one, uh, Rob Parsons uh, was part of care of the family, the 60-minute marriage. And this is not saying like the Pharisees, after 60 minutes, I found something unpleasant, and so therefore I'm divorcing her. It's not. It takes about 60 minutes of your life to read this book, and it's brilliant. 
It's really good. If you want me to get it for you, I will. Uh, I'll order it. I want money. Um, I'm, not, I'm not buying hundreds of them. <laughs> but it's a really good one. If you want a bit more of an in-depth, or you've heard of the marriage course run at Holy Trinity Brompton, and something I'm looking at for here, um, then this is a really good book by Nick and Sila Lee, uh, the marriage book, How to Build a Lasting Relationship. A lot of this you'll know, uh, but a lot of it you won't be doing. And that, that's what I found when I read it. So let's invest in our marriages and be a people of God that reflect that uh, to the world. And let's take, them to take our marriages seriously like Jesus did. And let's be a church of compassion when we come across people where it hasn't worked out. The people of reconciliation that can show love and understanding. We're going to pray for us and uh, I'll invite the, the musicians back. And we're going to sing... Uh, after I pray, Jesus, hope of the nations. This is the person we proclaim. And as we think about the people we meet, uh, the people we come alongside, we can introduce them to him. He is the comfort for all who mourn. Let's, uh, let's just pray together and then we'll stand and sing that. But we thank you for your word. And as we work through your Sermon on the Mount, we recognize there is some tough teaching in there and some things that are hard to swallow. And But yet we know they're your words. And so I pray uh, for all of the relationships in this room, Lord. I pray uh, that they would follow a godly pattern. Pray for those that, um, who, who have had to go through a divorce uh, and the pain and the, uh, the uh, angst that they've had to gone through to, to do that. It wouldn't have been their choice at the beginning. And I pray that we would be a church of, of love and mercy and grace. I pray, Lord, for marriages that are in trouble. And I pray that they would seek help and be intentional about really investing in their marriage because it's worth it, because it's something that God has joined together. The two have become one. It cannot be broken easily. And I pray that we would be that witness to the world, Lord. I pray for forgiveness where forgiveness is needed and I pray for your healing hand where that's needed as well. And I pray, Lord, that our marriages can flourish as we adhere to your word and your teaching. We pray this in the name of the one we're going to sing is the hope of the nations, Jesus our Lord. Amen.